When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. I am here with Todd from Todd's Nerd Cave slash Retro Frog. What's up, man? How you doing? Not too bad. And you? Pretty good. Good to see you. It's been a while since we talked. I don't think we've ever video chatted before, but, uh, you know, we've met in person. So you know, yep. cheers to you. Wish I was there with a beer and not here with a coffee. <laughs> yeah. So how you been? Uh, good. Uh, just trying to stay busy. That you are. So behind you, are those the um, the your three D print shop that you've been you've been printing out of? Is that uh, um, is that your main stations? Uh, yeah, this is part of it. Uh, this is about half of it. Um, I have up my office here. I've got over in the corner over here. There's uh, two Prusa Mini Pluses, and then directly behind me, the ones with the uh, the ones with the blue and the uh, well, it was green spools. Those are Prusa Mark Threes, three uh, S Pluses, and then downstairs I have uh, two more Minis. And a upgrade to Ender Three. Hmm, that's awesome. I still haven't gotten one. Um, I, I still got to just finish off a million other projects. But the one thing I'm worried about is, like, I see you have dedicated desk space there for them. Mm-hmm. Like, how bad would it be if I put them on like the bottom shelf of a bookcase so that like it's not on the top, so it's not wiggling around? Because I know that would set it off center. Is that just a nightmare, or should I just make sure to find a flat surface on top of something? Um, I. I... Yeah, you'd probably want to make sure whatever it is is sturdy. I mean, if your bookshelf is – if you can go to the bookshelf and just kind of lightly push on it and it rocks back and forth, that's not the right surface for you. Plus, yeah. a lot of these printers, you probably want to put some isolation on them anyways because the whole machine, when it's printing, generates a lot of movement. And all that transfers down into whatever it's setting on. So if it's setting on something kind of wobbly, it's going to get that, 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 that. It's going to get that going on. Even Even these printers that are relatively quiet, there's still lots of momentum in the bed going back and forth. So yeah, I would probably make sure whatever you put it on, if it's a stand or a rack or something, just to make sure that it's got some, uh, got some sort of uh, sturdiness to it. One of the projects that I'm going to be working on uh, as soon as I have a breath is to tear apart my garage. Cause there's some like crappy old cabinets. And every time you open one up, you know, a, a giant mutant spider comes and, you know, detaches to my face, like I've seen an alien. It's just, while I'm exaggerating, I'm actually not. Every time I open one of those up, there's spider eggs and things and, I got to just rip all that out and put new shelving up. So I was thinking maybe to get at least one or two hard surfaces and just that way I could leave the printer going for something. And if it's in the middle of the night, I'm not even going to hear it because it's in the garage. Yeah. Cause you live out in the country now, don't you? Yeah. Not, not country country. <laughs> like I can't, I can't talk to somebody who lives in the, you know, the middle States and call where I live country. Cause that's not fair <laughs> at all. But yeah, for compared to compared to the middle of Manhattan. Yes. I'm in the country. <laughs> yeah, cause like I've right got, now, there's like three chipmunks running around in front of me. There's all different colors of birds and stuff. There's a fox that runs by every night. I I, I found a fox hole in my backyard. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those, but I'm like, hey, why is the, the grass a little sunk down here? And I I hit it with a shovel, and it just goes. Woof, and there's a hole in there. I'm like, wow, that's a, is that a sinkhole? And then I I peeled the grass up, and I was like, 
holy shit, that must be a foxhole. This is crazy. <laughs> like, it's like an entire ecosystem underneath, like, a foot of dirt, which is under the grass. And I'm like, I'm going to fill that with rocks. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or not. <laughs> Filled it up yeah, with rocks, not... filled it with dirt on top, put the grass back on. I'm good. Yeah, you're not used to that in a city, are you? <laughs> no, no, no. We... In the entire time I lived there, I think I saw three or four roaches in the apartment total, ever. Mm-hmm. I saw... A Two or three mice, little ones, never a rat, and tons of roaches, giant, giant roaches down in the laundry room, but never in the apartment. But that was it. That was the extent of the wildlife in New York City was that. And pigeons, which are just rats with wings anyway. So, Yeah, yeah, because I live, I live out in the, well, I don't know if I'd say country either, but where I live is you know, all old farm, developed farmland. And if you like go across the street from my, the, the, the subdivision, the, uh, where I live at, big farm full of corn. So yeah, I live out in the, I don't know if I want to say the sticks, but uh, pretty much as close as you get to the sticks around here anyways. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in, in a part of Connecticut, with it was just in the middle of the woods. And when I moved in with my uncle for a while, it was like a new development area where it was all still woods. Like, you go up this giant, giant hill, and his was the first house, and then there was the road continued, but there was almost no houses. So from for a couple of years, from like 11, 12, something like that, like I, uh, the hobby would be to just wander through the woods. And I, to this day, <laughs> I have no idea how I ever found my way back. And I always did. I never got lost. I have, but I mean, it was far. We're talking at least, at least a walking mile through the woods, but probably a little more than that. I just, I, I don't know, maybe I got a good sense of direction or something, but it's always a blast. Yeah. It's always good to have. Cause you see a lot of these reports of people that get lost on hikes and then, you know, they pass away. And then whenever the, you know, they finally discovered a year or three later, Oh, they were just a couple hundred feet off the path. It's like, wow, that's crazy. It's easy yeah, to get that, lost that in these always blows woods. my mind. Yeah. Yeah. A couple hundred feet off the path. By the way, sorry, everybody. I guess there's a bit of an audio delay, so we're going to be stepping on each other. But, you know, it happens. If if after, if post-pandemic you're not used to this, then, you know, I, I can't. I don't know what else I could tell you. You know, I remember when I was hiking through those woods, there was a mail truck in the middle of the woods. Middle of the woods. And I to this day can't fathom how it got there and unless maybe a house used to be there or something and then there was like a dirt road and then it just kind of all grew up over it like you know the, the grass and the sticks and and stuff maybe that's how it did but that always kind of cracked me up like why is there an old ma- mail truck in the middle of the woods like was it the first time we saw it we looked in like is there going to be a body in there like why you know but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the last thing you want to see is an old body in a mail truck yeah yeah maybe it was some redneck up there that like stole a mail truck and thought he was gonna stash it in his backyard or something uh you never know <laughs> yeah so um did you always grow up in that area like cornfield-esque uh i grew up in a more rural area i grew up in west virginia so i grew up okay. in um more mountainy section less farmland more mountainy and then, you know, by the time I hit my late 20s or so, I moved to southern Ohio, and I've been bouncing around this area. We've been thinking about moving down to the Carolinas at some point, but I don't know if that's going to happen when. But for me, I've always been kind of in the um, Miami Valley area, you know, West Virginia, Ohio. I've always kind of lived in, in that area. Yeah, that's cool. I, I was down there uh, for the first time in a long time, a couple of months ago, and it's pretty neat. Like, you know, I'm used to the, the mountains and the hills of Connecticut, New Jersey, and then you get a little farther out west and it's like, 
you start to understand the difference between a really big hill and a mountain. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Still got some big ish ones up over here, but not not like that. That's always pretty cool. Love cresting the top of one of those in the car, and you come over and all you just see trees and stuff for miles and miles as you go across. Yeah, the part I live in and where I live at, it's it's I don't want to say flat, but it's there's some like little small hills and stuff, but it's it's for the most part flat. Like you can see the police officers like sitting off the side of the road like two miles down the interstate. You know, there's there's no excuse to get pulled over by one because you saw them coming. Whereas oh, where I grew up in West Virginia, literally you have visibility a couple hundred feet in each direction behind you in front of you because it's constantly going up or down or turning left and right. It's kind of like it is up in Massachusetts where there's like really dense hills and mountains and it's like a cop can bust you out of nowhere because you never saw him coming. You just mm. never had a chance. Whereas here it's all flat. You can see three miles down the road. You can see him waiting on the side of the road. So if you get pulled over by one, you're just not paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used to get a lot of tickets. I haven't in quite a long time. And, you know, obviously not having a car living in Manhattan certainly helped that. But, yeah, I was a kid. It was uh, never never could quite go fast enough. And getting a motorcycle, I miss having one so much, but I don't think I could own another one and not ride like that. You know, of course, I love the whole putt-putt-putt around town. You go by the beach, you go by a lake or something. It's really pretty. But zero to 60 and light speed is more my uh, more my jam. <laughs> uh, I've never been much in a motorcycle. It's my... Um... My cousins had had one, and we went to their a cookout. I was probably like ten or twelve, something like that. And they're like, "Hey, you want to check out the motorcycle? Cool, I'll get on it." Bam! Hit the garage door. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> that was literally <laughs> that was literally my experience. I hit this garage door, and I was like, "Yep, I'm good." <laughs> the first time I ever got on any kind of dirt bike, motorbike, I was like sixteen, and I didn't, I wasn't used to the whole like you have to squeeze the clutch and let out really slowly. Which, you know, if you've never done that before, your muscles have never made that motion. So yeah, I, I, it was a dirt bike and I kind of straddled it and I revved it just a little bit. And then I, I the clutch slipped and it came out from under me and I'm it's hopping on one wheel and I'm running behind it. But because I'm holding on to the throttle, I had to finally like, <laughs> as it's up in the air, let go, grab the throttle again and drop it back down. And all my friends were peeing their pants laughing like, you moron. I'm like, let me try again. Like, no, absolutely not. Get off of my bike. Leave me alone. So Yeah, yeah we don't want you to destroy this. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, well, at least that was a cheap dirt bike and not somebody's really nice motorcycle. Yeah. So how'd you, uh, how'd you get into all that stuff, all the stuff that we've been doing? Because I remember you just, your YouTube channel, Todd's Nerd Cave, and uh, I remember you post under, you posted under a few different names on different forums, right? Or was it always one? No, no. I, yeah, my, my names on different forums have kind of evolved over the years, depending on what mood I was in at any given time. Uh, as far as like design work and like building things, I don't know, it's kind of always how I've been. Mm-hmm. Runs, runs my family, my, my grandfather was like a woodworker. Uh, my brother is uh, a baker. He, he owns a uh, artisan bakery down in uh, North Carolina. So he's, he's into that kind of stuff. I mean, he's also into like building things and stuff like that, but he's, you know, his hobby really is, you know, bakery stuff. He bakes cookies and cakes and all sorts of stuff. Again, like he's, you know, quite runs, does quite well for himself. Um, as far as me goes with 3d printing and stuff, my first Fourier into it was i think it was late 2017 uh, late 2016 late 2017 i bought a robo 3d r3d something rather and if you look at any of my older uh todd's nerd cave videos you'll see it it was a big white thing with a white like shroud over it 
Uh, it set off on the corner and it, it was visible in some of my videos. I didn't really use a lot. It was kind of, um, unreliable piece of junk. <laughs> it worked, but it, it seemed like it was one of those things where every time I needed to use it, it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, was, or you had to fiddle about and you get jams and extruder and it was just, you know, it was something that, you know, I use and every time I, I wanted to use it, I was cussing at it. And I wasn't designing any of my own stuff. I was just like everybody else. I was downloading things off Thingiverse or other 3D sources, uh, STLs and printing them. So eventually, I think it was like 2018 or so, 2019, I got rid of that printer. It was having tons of problems with it. It just, just didn't work. And I didn't think anything else about that stuff at all. And it wasn't until the pandemic kicked in that I started thinking about 3D printing. Uh, and I, I wanted to get get into that again. And that's kind of what kickstarted my interest back in 3D printing. You know, isn't it funny when you have a piece of equipment that's either terrible or just meh, and then you upgrade to another one, that weird feeling you get of like, it's both exciting, like, oh, this is how it's supposed to work. But it's also frustrating, like, how many fucking hours of my life did I waste on that thing? Because I didn't know any better at the time. For me, it was the desoldering gun. I must have ruined three motherboards with that thing, not realizing (laughs) that if I had just spent six more dollars and gotten the big station one that I've been using forever, that like all of it would have worked perfect. The first time I used one that wasn't a piece of garbage and I just went and the chip fell out. I was just like, what is going on? This is like, this is what Jose does. Like, why, how did I not do this? Uh, Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny when you run into that stuff. Yeah. I'm the same way. You know, you'll, you'll buy a piece of equipment and it doesn't work the way you think it's supposed to work or what the impression in your mind is how it's supposed to work. And then you find out later it's because either you bought the cheap thing or because technology has simply moved along since then. Yeah, you know, the printers yeah. are like that. Where, you know, if the, like the Robo 3D I had back then, if you compare it to what you can buy now, just a couple of years later, it's, you know, it's a night and day difference in terms of uh, reliability and quality, especially reliability. Reliability with any of these, especially if you're doing any, any kind of mass production work, reliability is. Yeah, you know, key feature. If you can't keep the thing working, it's it's useless. You know, it's a useless tool. Yeah, yeah. It's always a different emotion when the technology moves forward versus when you realize maybe you weren't educated enough in a subject, or you're just like me, and sometimes you're stubborn and you try to force the cheaper solution to work just because. <laughs> but like, I always get frustrated at myself for those. But when you see technology evolve, that's always kind of just a happy, neat thing. Like. Like even like the last time I used a weed whacker was 15 years ago or something like that. And it was a massive piece of crap. And I just got one for like a hundred bucks. And I'm like, I can't believe this is a hundred bucks. This works like a thousand times better than that piece of junk I used to have. So it's just that, that kind of stuff makes me happy. Yeah. And you can buy nice battery powered ones nowadays too. No longer need to put gas in them and dick around with mixing two stroke fuel or any of that kind of stuff. You can just rechargeable yeah. battery and the thing will run and run and run forever. Yeah, a lot of my friends bust my chops about that. Like, why wouldn't you just get the gas-powered stuff? And I'm like, when I hit, like, 11, I think, I was obsessed and needed a Sega Genesis. So I went, I was walking around the ghetto asking people if I could mow their lawns, but we were in the ghetto, so it was like a three-foot by three-foot patch of lawn. So I'm just walking around block after block with a beat-ass old mower and whatever else, and I just... That that whole memory of that's like I think I earned my way past that. I just want to you know plug something in, press a button, and go. And it just I, I'm sure I'm wrong about that, but for my own personal thing, it's like no, give me the battery stuff. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to smell that anymore. That was years of my childhood just saving up to be able to get stuff. So like you yeah, know. especially 
especially with gas, man. You know, you're, you're pushing your mail around and all of a sudden it dies. You're out of gas. You go back to your can in your garage and you're getting the fuel. You got to stop, get in the car, go get some fuel, come back. Worse with the battery ones. As long as you have an extra battery, have it on the charger, pop it out, pop it in. 100%. Yeah, a minute later, you're up and running. The only thing I got to say is if, for me personally at my house, 100% agreed. But if I had like a crew with a bunch of stuff, like how, you know, what if you forgot to cha- charge all your batteries? Whereas what if you forgot to fill up your gas tank? Well, okay, hold on a minute. Take the truck, go fill up your gas tank. Five minutes oh, later, yeah. you're back at it. Whereas like you can't fast charge, you know, 20 batteries for a crew of people. So that's, no, the, that's no. the one thing that I haven't quite got there yet. So Yeah. If you, yeah, if you're, if you're doing this commercially, like, like a service or something, yeah. You unfortunately, gas is still the way to go on it because yeah, you could just have like a twenty gallon tank sitting on the truck, and then when you need it, just go back and refill. Whereas yeah, for consumers for home use, unless you've got like a, a field, if you've got like a five acres of land you're mowing, then yeah, you need a big old riding mower and that's gas. Whereas yeah. you know, like for example, my property, I think total size of my property is like a third of an acre, and then the house is sitting in the middle of that, so it's not exactly a lot of land. You know, I can take the mower out and I can mow the entire yard and trim it with a weed eater in an hour or less. So mm. for me, electric's perfect. I can usually one battery, one and a half battery. I can just run the whole yard. No big deal. So, yeah. yeah. Have you seen those backpack batteries? Some of the companies came out with now. So it's basically like <laughs> 10 of their batteries in like a 40, 50 pound thing. And you strap it on and it plugs, you know, the, the the plug is like an empty battery from whatever brand it is and you could just stick it into all the devices and that way you could go around and you know you have like a day's worth of battery power on that i don't need any no. of that my my yard's small enough for that. i think it's a half acre or something but yeah so basically it's like a car battery in a backpack <laughs> basically yeah <laughs> i always thought that was funny and i, I saw a couple people because we got i mean thousands and thousands of leaves in the fall over here so everybody's been hiring. One guy just has a giant ride-on thing where all the leaves go into the big bales. But most people just hire uh, services to come. And here's my dumbass with a battery-powered blower. Like, I hate every one of you, especially the neighbor that doesn't actually clean their leaves. And they all blow on my lawn every time the wind goes on. <laughs> so. I've got the neighbors that don't mow the grass. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll mow it like three times a year. Oh, jeez. <laughs> like, you know. Beginning of summer, middle of summer, end of summer. No, they've gotten better. It was like the first year because this this whole development's fairly new. So all the houses on the streets, like the oldest house on the streets, like four years old. So, you know, most people were letting for the first couple of years, letting their grass kind of grow in because you know when you have a brand new yard, especially when it's if it's not sod, it's actually seeded with hay and seed. It takes quite a while before the grass starts growing in. So you'd see these people these yards that look kind of kind of ghettoific. But it's just because they're letting them grow in. So you'd have people grass like up to the part of the yard would have grass up to your knee. Other part of the yard would look like a desert, and it just you know matters. <laughs> it looks janky though. It looks like half the yard's dead when it just hasn't grown in yet. That's funny. Yeah, I got a bunch of patches in mine, and uh, I've been trying to seed it. And I'm like, I like doing stuff like that, but there's just some things where I'm like, man, I just I don't have the desire to do it. Like waking up every morning and going out and watering the lawn. It's like uh, no. I'll, the heavy, you know, any of the heavy lifting, cool. I enjoy that stuff, but I just couldn't imagine me being the guy that just goes outside and just stands there, you know. And yeah, yeah, you could put the sprinkler stuff in and all that, but it's, the yard's not big enough or, or important enough. My goal in this is to just be invisible. I want my house to be nice enough where none of the neighbors ever bother me. Just leave me alone, you know. I don't. I'm not the guy with the loud music or the big lawn. Mm. Or I'm not the over ornate one. Just leave me be. Yeah. Well, 
so back to your YouTube channel though. When when did you actually start that? Because around the time I was on YouTube, I remember I think I remember seeing a couple of your videos anyway. Um I think the oldest videos that are currently on there probably go back to like I don't know, twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, but there was more of a just a random like you know, a lot of people used to, used to use YouTube but they would just throw up a random video or something. There was no real there was no coherent uh, plan to what they were doing. You know, it was just kind of randomness. And then somewhere around 20, I want to say 2015 or so, I actually started creating content with some sort of purpose. It was still a hobby. It always was a hobby for me. There was never any kind of intention for anything beyond, you know, uh, artistic hobby. You know, it was like, I wanted to put up a video, put some time into you know, creating the video, editing and filming it. And I mean, I lost a ton of money as far from a camera gear standpoint for that, that, that channel permanently stayed in the, in the, you know, in the, uh, in the red, it was constant. It was from day one until now, it was always in the red, but, and I never looked at it from that point. I always looked at it as a hobby. You know, I'd go out and yeah. buy something or I'd create something or I'd look at something. And I thought, okay, I want to make a video on this. There was never, there was never anything beyond that. It was, that was, that was the limitation for me as far as the, um, uh, the purpose of that channel is simply my own entertainment. <laughs> when it came down to it, it was, it was really for my own artistic entertainment than it was with anything else. I yeah. want to get back to it eventually. It's it's funny it, when you cross that line of like wanting to do videos versus having to do videos. Like I I get kind of obsessive, so like it was all if I decided to do it, it was it's the same amount of effort. I, I wish I could dial it back. I just I don't have that. But you're right. When I first started YouTube, it was like, okay, I can embed a bunch of pictures on the website, but and I can embed some audio files, but I can't really do that with a video that well. So, oh, I guess I'll just use YouTube. And that's kind of where it started. I think one of my first videos was just simply showing Duck Hunt on an RGB monitor, because one of the main questions back then, before people really knew what this was, is will light guns work on an RGB monitor? Mm-hmm. I asked that myself when I first uh, when I first started getting into it. So that was it. it was my first video was just shooting ducks. <laughs> I think I think my very first video would have been. I know the oldest video I think on my channel now was uh, was showing off a um, a Thicus NAS network attached storage device. But I bought and put some drives in. It was more of a just, you know, kind of follow along with me. Not really a tutorial, just more of a random, you know, kind of video. I think there might have been a video too before that, but it was it, was, it, it definitely fell into the random shit category. You know, just <laughs> there was no clear, just, oh, there's some random shit. But, um, yeah, I tried to actually, after that, I tried to focus and, and try to bring some sort of narrative to the purpose of the whole channel, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It worked. I liked your videos. So, I mean, for me, it was always, yeah, I always looked at the, as the, as the YouTube stuff, as stuff I wanted to do rather than, yeah, have to do, as you mentioned, you know, I never, for me, it was never going to be a job. Never. There was times where I felt like, man, I haven't uploaded a video in like six months. Maybe I should make something, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I kind of look around my office and I'm like, I used to keep a, um, in my old house, I used to keep on the, on the wall, a whiteboard where I'd write down ideas. And I swear to God, I never, I never went back and marked through any of because I never actually filled any of those damn things. But it was how I used to try to stay focused. And every once in a while, I look at that and go, "Yeah, I haven't done any of those." And then, it, then another idea would pop up. I swear to God, I've got like a mountain of script ideas. I've even got, I've got a ton of scripts I wrote out for for videos, which maybe one of these days I'll get around to doing some of them. But it's like it, it always for me was some I had to want to do it, not feel like I need to do it. Hmm. 
Yeah, so that, that's how my and for me the the YouTube stuff, you know, kind of took a back seat once I, you know, once I started getting into some of this stuff, and it's just like I that's a lot, you know, for me it was a lot. It's a huge time sink, and I don't think yeah. people, I don't, yeah, and I mean you you know this, I don't think people realize, you know, if you put out a five minute video, we'll just say you put out a five minute video, like how much time goes into behind the scenes on creating that video. I mean, it's 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 a tremendous amount of time, uh, just from script writing research setting up the scene before you even edit it, just getting to the point where you can edit it. You know, you're looking at a tremendous amount of time. And then once you go into edit, depending on how your workflow is, that's allowed to be double or triple what time you spent before. So it's, you know, for example, my, my channel, I used to look at it this way. Whenever I published a video, you know, I would like for every one minute of finished video, there'd be at least one to two hours worth of work put into one minute of finished video at least. And it depends, you know, if you have a video with a whole bunch of captured footage, obviously that metric slides down. But if it's a bunch of B-roll, uh, voiceovers, and other scripted stuff, then that t- time scale goes up. So, But I used to look at it that way. That was my ballpark was one to two hours per every minute of finished video. So if you look at my channel, you don't see a whole lot of 10-minute plus videos because that's a lot of damn time. And if you're doing this part-time as just a, a side hobby, it's like, yeah, I'm not putting 30 hours into a video with the, the way I like to do them that way. It's like I just can't do that. Yeah, I remember putting off making videos for as long as possible. And I remember just trying to find excuses not to make them. And I was talking to Corey from My Life in Gaming, like, so how long does it actually take you to edit these? Like, is it like an hour a minute? Or he's like, well, you can't really put a time on it. He's like, it sometimes could be a lot longer than that. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't have time for this. But I do like it. The only time it ever feels like work is when it's stuff that I just don't want to do a video on at all, but I feel like I have to. And that's rare. That's like the in-tech gaming Game Boy Advance bullshit. I was just like, I didn't want to do that video. I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew they were going to come after me. I knew the bottom feeders were going to come after me just because that age old, like, well, I'll go against the narrative for attention. Fucking losers. I knew what was going to happen. I knew it. But I was like, nobody else is talking about all the things that are really wrong with it. So I have to. And the whole time I was just swearing through the whole thing. Like, I fucking hate this thing. I hate that I'm doing this. There's like three really awesome projects that I wanted to promote. I want to be the happy, jolly fat guy drinking beer and high fiving people. I don't want to be the finger waving lag guy. But if no one else does it, I guess I got to do it. So, yeah, I mean, I think the difference there is you, you didn't need you didn't want to do it. You didn't really need to do it, but you needed to do it. You know what I mean? You, you, yeah. you know, it needed to be done. Yeah, you, know, you didn't have to do it, but you, it needed to be done because, like you said, if you don't do it, you're just going to get a bunch of people with bullshit rubber stamping it. Yeah, it displays on your TV. Yeah, there's more to it than that, but that, it does, in fact, do that. <laughs> I'm not the fat guy Gotham wants. I'm the fat guy Gotham needs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, you didn't want to do it, but you had to kind of do it because otherwise you're just going to get a bunch of people bullshit. But then again, there was a bunch of videos early on, other people saying, yeah, man, this thing has got some issues, like the the you know the lack of proper aspect ratio. Like how basic, how basic of a thing can you fuck up? When you start, when, when I see a retro gaming device that has a four by three and sixteen by nine switch on, I already know it's bullshit. I already know, you know, when I see almost anything like a like hypercan, you know, a four by three, sixteen by nine, I'm like, I know you guys just don't give a damn. It's like when yeah. I start seeing aspect ratio switches on the side, a physical switch, I know you got bullshit in there. It's like it just my 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 spidey senses have already kicked off. My bullshit meters already kicked off. You guys are full of shit. It's like you can't even get aspect ratio correct. So it's yeah, yeah. 
And, you know, just for the record, there was a bunch of other very good reviews. It's just um, they tried to take the positive stance. And while they told all of the bad things wrong with it, you know, I, I think I think everybody was like, all right, well, it's up to you then to, to go up against them, because I don't think anybody wants to deal with the stuff that comes with it. And it's, you know, it's fine. If I got to do it, I'll do it. But that's annoying. And, and to, you know, at least Intech isn't like Keiko. Because Intec will just come up with some bullshit thing. They'll have like a drama channel or two do a video about how it's actually a good product. But Keiko is like legit come after me saying that I was lying. And every time I'll just post screenshots of their own emails and then they disappear for a couple months. And then they come back and like, that Bob guy's lying. We never did that. Like, it's the same screenshot from last time, you morons. We, like, yeah, it's uh that's that's not yeah. the kind of drama I like. The kind of drama I like is when Voltar and I start making fun of each other. That's what I enjoy. That makes me happy. Not not the real crap. Yeah, I don't I don't blame you because I don't understand why these guys can't just. It's the same people complain about the same things every time. In my mind, they would come to someone like you or Voltar. They come to somebody in the industry and say, "Hey, here's a product. We're going to improve. Okay, cool." Da, 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 and then put up instead of no, we just throw out a product. And then you have to listen to you guys bitch about it over and over and over. It's the same thing. It's like, are you guys not getting the clue here? Like, seriously, it's like, how many times do you need to keep cutting out the same bullshit stuff with the same issues? Well, but if they keep getting their projects funded, why would they listen? Why would they spend an extra penny or an extra minute doing anything different if their projects still get funded? So has has I, their uh, has their Game Boy Advance thing been funded? I don't has it has it reached that yet? No, but there's like three weeks left. So my oh. guess is it's definitely getting funded, no doubt whatsoever. It'll probably just kind of squeak by. It sounds like, just like the warrior, barely squeaked by. Yeah, the warrior. The warrior is interesting because I never, you know, I know the case is a personal aesthetic thing. You know, some people mm-hmm. only like it, some people don't don't care. That, that's you know, mine was always you know on the video side, and I remember you remember their original, the original Kickstarter, the original stuff they were promoting on it was, oh, here it is compared to the Ultra HDMI. And they compare, yep. you know, they showed videos and stuff. It's like, wow, that looks pretty good. And then once yep. we find out reality from you, it's like, holy shit, these guys are shit. Yeah, they... yeah. And then they sent a couple free ones to a drama channel and had them make a video saying that I lied about the video boards for attention. That those were pre-production video boards and people would not be getting those. And that's why I did that follow-up post with showing that not only were people getting the exact same chips, by the way, thank you to everybody who posted a picture of that, but they also continued to send out sandpaper with the first couple hundred units that were already boxed up. Because remember that too, they were the one that said, if you have problems with your games, take some sandpaper and say, like, are you serious? Are you, you know, that's exactly like saying, you know, if you're not quite sure if your, uh, you know, light socket's working, lick your finger and stick it in there to see if you get buzz. Cause you know, like that, that stuff cracked me up. But I, I, do? I don't understand. I, don't, I mean, I understand why they include the sandpaper, but I don't understand why they felt they needed to include the sandpaper. Like how's it their job to make sure the games are clean? I mean, that makes no sense. Why would you even do that? You know the messed up part? If they just came out with the shell and nothing else. I, mm-hmm. I thought the shell was awesome. A lot of people didn't. So opinion, just like you said, it's only an opinion. I loved it. I thought yep. it was cool as hell. If they just released that shell, I would have been promoting the ever-living shit out of that campaign. Like, do you have a broken N64 shell? Here you go. Do you like this better? Sell your mint condition shell to somebody who needs it. Everybody wins. Same thing with the Game Boy Advance controller thingy. That's not the most comfortable controller in the world, but I guarantee you people would probably want to use that for a couple of different uses. So yeah. even with Mr. and a controller adapter or something, they, they're just, why don't 
if if you're so good at one thing and you're so shit at the other, why would you still do that? Why wouldn't you just stick to the thing that you're good at and have everybody love you for it? I just I don't get it. Maybe yeah, I they seem to be pretty. They seem to be pretty good at the plastic side of things, but when it comes to the everything else, <laughs> anything inside the plastic, that's when they uh, they seem to falter, and then they want to blame everybody else. But I think it's comical them claiming that the pre-production board is like, well, why do you send it out then? If, you know, if you send out a product to a reviewer and it's crappy and then later you come back and say, oh, no, that was pre-prototype, pre-beta, whatever. It's like, you still sent well, that they out. Didn't, what? They didn't send it to me. They sent it to Metal Jesus, who sent it to me, and he sent me all of the information they gave him as well. Uh, so that I think that's what they were trying to, they were trying to say something like that, but no, uh, you know, Jason didn't lie in the slightest. He's, he never does. He's just open and honest. You know, nobody's yeah. ever right a hundred percent of the time, but he's not a liar. Neither am I. I'm a lot of things, but I'm not a liar. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It's whatever. You know, I guess the other reason stuff like that sticks out so much is because if you take that in contrast to all the other awesome things that are out there. And, you know, everything from Mike's RetroTank 5X and then 2.0 firmware that everybody got for free. Like, you, you put that in context of it. But even little shit, like when you did the, the feet for, for the uh, for the AESs, like that was one of those things where I was like, I absolutely need one of these in the the controller stick. Like, you found those. Um, like, the a lot of the little stuff you did was just like, this is such an awesome little help. Like, even though it's not a an expensive thing. Like there's so many cool things like that out there. So that's why the, uh, the bad ones really tend to stick out and stink. Yeah. So when you, where did you get the knowledge to start designing some of the 3d printed stuff that you did just kind of learn your, <laughs> learn on your own trial and error? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, for me, the kind of origin of this would be like, you know, uh, I picked up another printer uh, in 2020 uh, mid 2020. I mean, to be honest, I have to give most of my credit to uh, Greg Collin, Laser Bear, because mm. that's what got me in back into back into 3D printing. Because he, you know, he published a lot of his designs open source or free to download. So, you know, when I got back into 3D printing in 20, uh, 2020, I, you know, first thing I downloaded once I got to once I figured out how to get back into the uh, printer calibrated. First, one of the first things I downloaded was his GC loader stuff, mm. uh, his GC loader mount. Uh, and his uh, his side fan uh, replacement for the, the 50 millimeter fan, and I you know I'm not sure if you want like an origin story on some of this stuff like how I got into this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so I downloaded his his GC loader mount, beautiful, great design. Uh, I downloaded his replacement fan shroud for the side of the GameCube, which uses that uh, I think it's a noise blocker 50 millimeter fan, and uh, you know I downloaded printed both of them, installed them. I went to, I think, Amazon and bought the noise blocker fan and installed it, got up and running. Wow, then, you know, I was like, this thing, this works great. I still didn't have any interest in signing stuff myself, but I was mostly still just consuming. I was downloading, printing, and, you know, I installed it, it worked great. And I had my GameCube sitting off on my one of my side discs running for a couple hours. I think it was going through the Soul Calibur 2, uh, the track mode, the demo where it just keeps rolling you know, the track mode. And after about three hours, I'm sitting here and all of a sudden, the cube just powered off. And I was like, that's weird. I thought maybe it was like, a, you know, like some of these consoles will have like a power off where after so many hours will power off or like, I didn't know if maybe Swiss or something had a mode. Like, I, I didn't know. So I reached over to turn the cube back on and it was burning hot. I mean, like we're talking like freaking inferno. Like it felt like you're putting your hands on a furnace. Trust me, the GameCube can get hot like that. And it's because the fan failed. 
And so I took the cube back apart and fiddled with the fan, tested the fan outside the cube. That fan was dead as a doorknob, three hours old. It literally ran for three hours and just died. And I was like, man, that sucks. So I went back to Amazon, looked through some reviews, and saw some other people complaining that it either worked really great or it failed pretty quick. I guess those those things have a a pretty uh, early uh, was it infile uh, early birth defect thing. You know, like like you know how electronics are. Either they work yeah. forever or they'll fail right away. It's it's that's usually how it works. Infant mortality type thing. So I I thought I want to replace this fan. And there's not a lot of good other 50 millimeter fans that are quiet uh, out there. So I thought, okay, maybe I can kind of botch up my own design, you know? So I started with Tinkercad and Tinkercad, if you have no CAD experience, is great because it's kind of Lego blocks. You can kind of place things and place things. It's, it's basically Lego blocks. Uh, and over the course of a couple of days, I knocked out a 40 millimeter Noctua fan mount that was designed to go into the original fan shroud. And I was pretty proud of myself. And, you know, I threw it up on Thingiverse and posted on Twitter. And everybody's like, hey, cool, cool, you know, cool, different option. And that's what I thought. I was like, I've installed it. I tested that fan in that GameCube for days. Literally, I turned on the GameCube, turned off the TV or the monitor and walked away from it. I let that thing run for days testing thermals on that thing. So I knew that A, the Noctua fan would be suitable and B, that it wasn't going to melt down the GameCube. And everything at this point was fine. I wasn't, I didn't really give any more thought to anything beyond that. I got a comment about two weeks after I posted on Thingiverse, and the comment was, I sell on eBay. That was the entire comment. I was like, what? <laughs> I sell on eBay. That was the, the entire comment. Oh, that they're telling you that they're selling your design on eBay. Yeah, but the way it was worded, I was like, I, what? So I go to eBay. I can't find it. I'm like, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. And then I start thinking, I bet this is eBay UK. Because that kind of broken English, go, sure enough, I go to eBay.uk, and there was some guy selling my design. Two guys actually selling my GameCube mount. And not only did they sell them, according to eBay, they sold like 60 of these things in two weeks. I'm like, what the hell? Oh, I was, I was so pissed. I mean, I guess in reality, when you upload something like that, that's what's going to happen. But at the yeah. time, I was furious because I was like, I gave this away for free. I mean, I don't have a problem with someone printing something like this on demand. I guess, you know, but whenever you bulk print them and then offer them for sale, that's, that's a totally different category of things. That, that's, that's a totally different thing. So I was so pissed. I was like, if he can sell them, I can sell them too. That's what started RetroFrog. Awesome. But I realized, yeah, I realized pretty quickly within the first couple of weeks uh, before I officially launched RetroFrog, which was uh, middle of December of 2020, I realized that I was going to need to come up with other designs because obviously I can't run a shop with a single design. And I also realized that Tinkercad wasn't going to get me too far. I mean, I've seen some people do some absolutely amazing things in Tinkercad. Like, Steph, you look at it, you look at the final design, like, damn, you did that in Tinkercad? But the problem is they spent a shit ton of time in Tinkercad doing that because it doesn't mm. have the tools to automatically do this stuff. You've got to manually manipulate stuff. And, you know, like, for example, if you want a rounded fillet edge, that's not an option in Tinkercad. So you've got to go in there and manually create that using other shapes, or if you want to chamfer or just basic stuff, that's like a two clicks and other, you know, and other CAD programs, this one, you've got to manually do that stuff. So uh, I decided on fusion 360. And then that's when I started kind of working on designs. And uh, to be honest, I find it pretty easy to pick up and learn. And it's just a matter of after that, once you start, you know, you start kind of playing in there and you run to a roadblock, go to YouTube. 
Mm. You know, there's, there's, there's a mountain of tutorials and knowledge out there for that stuff. That's pretty awesome. How'd you come up with the name retro frog? Uh, the frog part is a play off of Todd toad. When I was a kid, toad, toad. Yeah. And I thought retro toad sucked. So I thought retro frog, <laughs> retro frog was a better, better fit. I mean, retro frog is a better name, but retro toad, retro toad isn't terrible. So yeah, that, that's where, that's where the, the frog part of that came from was yeah, a playoff of toad. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, the stuff you've been working on is great and it just, it's, it's kind of cool to see people being able to grow in the scene. And it's especially cool to be able to see people grow like with each other without, stealing each other's designs and selling them on ebay which you know on the one hand right it's up on thingiverse so it's public domain at that point like you can't really fight anything at that so it's yeah. you know once you put it up there it's everybody's going to do whatever they want with it and you can't stop them but yeah. I mean, you know this, the other side of that is there's still ways to, to do that growing together not uh you know not a middle finger in the air i sell on ebay so yeah i, I think for the for me the biggest part is lack of a trip uh, attribution because you know the license specifically says you know you have to attribute it, and depending on what license you pick, there's there's some other things in, in, you know in place. But for me, you know I don't care as much that you now that you're selling on eBay or, or Etsy or whatever is the fact that you don't even attribute the design to the original creator. And there's yeah. a guy on Etsy, there's a guy on Etsy that's took a couple of my designs, my my GameCube fan mount, the GC video brace that you originally suggested. Hmm. Uh, he took these designs from me. I know he did because they came from me. Made some slight cosmetic modifications. And he sells them on Etsy and eBay with absolutely no attributing the original design. And that's like, I hate that. That's what pisses yeah. me off. People that won't take, they won't tell you where it came from, who originally designed it, what was the inspiration. They just, and it's like, it's a dick move. You know, that's what really pisses me off when you don't attribute where it came from. You know, I don't expect yeah. you to cut me in on the deal. That's fine. But you at least tell people, you know, this is based off of another design. I think that's the least. I think it's the least you can do, in my opinion. I but, couldn't you know. agree more. That's a very sore spot for me. There's been a couple of YouTubers that are much bigger than a lot of that ever be that basically just read my page out loud, out loud, and some of them end with, "And if you want more info, check it out on Retro RGB." And I'm like, "Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Let me retweet you. Let me, you know, I'll see what else you got. Maybe you know, I could help out with something." And then there's other people that read the entire page as if they were the one that did the research, as if they were the one that put the 40, 50 hours worth of work in and then it never credit me at all. And then as soon as anybody, it's, it's the same pattern with all these people. As soon as somebody calls them out, like, you know, that was Bob's post from three weeks ago, right? They block everybody. <laughs> like <laughs> Delete, block, mute. It's, one of, oh, it's, it's so funny to see those people come out, but it's frustrating because there's just, it's, very little effort to do it in a way where you'll make friends versus piss people off. Very, very little effort. Yeah. I think it's really bad with YouTube because, you know, you, you see these guys that if you watch their channels, they clearly, they don't put a lot of effort into the video side of things. So they go out and they just take clips of videos from other people or they'll take gameplay footage from, from GameSack or something like that or from my life in gaming or anybody else. And then they never attribute where it came from. Mm. And yeah, you know, I've seen Joe from GameSack call people out on Twitter about that stuff. You know, like they'll he'll, he'll be like, you know, here's a clip from your video, here's a clip from mine. It's the same damn footage, and you never bothered to mention where it came from. You know, it, yeah. There was a couple of years ago a whole bunch of people um, who were spreading false information about copyright strikes and who are saying people who do that are evil. And Joe and I were the only ones who really stood up against that, and we both took a lot of shit. 
Uh, and it's kind of frustrating because we were both right. And I know I was right, not because I'm a know-it-all, but because I had just had an entire two-hour meeting with a lawyer about something completely and totally different but or unrelated, but the same exact type of subject. And it was just one of those things where it was like, I know exactly what I'm talking about because people way smarter than these Twitter warriors have just explained this to me. And everybody was like, no, you're wrong. Somebody even stole footage of me holding up a time sleuth to some uh, to a CRT <laughs> where I demonstrated like this is what zero lag is. They took f- footage of me personally, put it in their video and said that, uh, you know, and, and people tend to exaggerate lag. You don't have to worry as if I was like, as if I was saying that three microseconds of lag is bad when in my video, I was actually saying like, here's what zero lag is. And apparently they did it just to show Bob that that's not how copyright strikes and fair use works. And it's like, no, I could absolutely sue you for that. And I can get the video taken down and I can get whatever money that you had from that video sent to me, which will be about one, one thousandth of what it would cost for me to do that, which, which is why I would never do that. So it's not not worth my time anyway, but just because I wouldn't waste my time doing it doesn't mean it's not illegal. (laughs) That shit cracks me up. I don't know, but I guess I'm a little frustrated today too. I just to warn everybody, I just wasted like eight hours on a PC problem and I still don't know what it is, but I just, and I wasted some of my friends' times too. So I'm a little grumpy today. Not at Todd. (laughs) So yeah, if you hear me a little, a little bit pissy in my voice, it's just because I'm mad at my computer. <laughs> so, did, did you reboot it though? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I even um I even reinstalled Windows and, and swapped hardware around and it, I'm chasing down a 4K 60 frame drop bug and I got a computer with a, a newer computer with an i9 in it so and a 3060 graphics card so yeah just you, you need you need to buy a Mac man just dump that junk PC hardware and get yourself a Mac. I was able to get a MacBook last June. So I have a MacBook for uh, my laptop. I have a Windows PC and now a Linux server. So I'm trying to up my Mac and Linux game. And uh, Linux is confusing because if you know DOS, it's actually worse than if you didn't know anything at all. Because you go, (laughs) you know, I'm confusing Linux commands and DOS commands. And yeah, my friends have been very patient with me on that one. So why why doesn't DIR work? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. That's my day job. Sudo. <laughs> yeah. Sudo, but I didn't even know how you pronounce it until like a month ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Well, um, so what, you know, what's the plan going forward, right? Because, you know, you, you had your YouTube channel as a hobby. Now, I guess mm-hmm. Retro Frog's also a hobby, but that's going to be keeping you busy because you got a lot of orders going through, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm eventually hoping to grow it to the point where it's my primary job. Because uh, mm. right now it's, you know, it's just a secondary. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a hobby. It's grown past hobby. Land. You know, I, I spend a, I spend a substantial, I actually, I would probably say I spend as much, if not more on it than I do day job. So for me, it's like, it's grown beyond hobby. It's got to the point it's took on its own, took on its own thing. So I'm hoping eventually that I can grow it to the point where it's, I can walk away from my day job and I can just concentrate on retro frog stuff, but that's, that's, that's going to be a ways out, but yeah, who knows? We'll see. Yeah. But I mean, if you're set up to do this, you know, I, I always, I've always told developers who, who say they're going to try to sell their own stuff. Like just because you're really good at designing these boards and getting these things done and getting, you know, getting them all made doesn't mean that you should, 
be you're going to be good at selling and supporting. And even if you are, is that how you want to spend your time? And most people listen. There's always the stubborn people that need to learn the hard way, but which I'm one of them many times. So I'm not talking shit, but those are the people that I always like to pass on to different companies. And it's like, if you're looking to do this full time, you know, why don't you take on getting the PCBs made? You make the cases yourself, you know, and it start small so you can still do it while you're with your day jobs. That's why kind of my middle manning is trying to put everybody in touch with each other for stuff like that. And I'm pretty sure I've reached out to you about 3d print designs too, for, for, you know, smaller projects. And, and I try to be smart about it. I'm not going to be like, all right, Todd, I need 10,000 of these by the end of next week. Like, you know, realistic, right? This is your side job. So something that's fitting, you know, bigger projects yeah. I would send to Greg because he's got his 3D printing farm, massive oh, yeah. projects I would get injection molded. So it's, you know, I think there's room for everybody, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm hoping to, I mean, I've got a couple of projects lined up with some PCBs and stuff and some of the smaller stuff I, you know, I, I hand assemble, but eventually you reach a, a wall where that's just not realistic. Not from a, you can't scale it. You know, cause when, mm. when, when the limiting factor is you, then you're the limiting factor. So realistically, if you want to scale it, you know, you've got to move it beyond uh, yourself. And obviously from a, from a hobby business like this, uh, the financial stake on doing something like obviously something you have to kind of, you have to kind of think about before you, you take it on because I've got a couple other things coming up that will require custom PCBs. And these, these PCBs are totally something that could be built by a build shop. You know, nothing, there's nothing weird or fancy about them, nothing that makes it impossible to be built from a factory. It just comes down to time and money. I think time's my biggest, time is always my biggest enemy, finding the time mm. to do everything. Yeah, mine too. That's, uh, you know, it's always time and money are the, are the two things. And it's like, it, it's so frustrating how, you know, trying to figure out what to spend your time on. And, you know, it's especially frustrating when you waste a day on a stupid PC problem that I probably should have been smart enough to figure out anyway. But, you know, it's time is always the biggest issue. So that's something we, we all have to figure out, I guess. Yep, yep. So, I mean, we can't, you know, it, there's no way I, I can't, ask about terror onion because i get trolled enough in the in the comments as it is <laughs> but you know I, I understand you're in a place because yeah you know there, there's still there's still a lot more going on they have good products you know there's a good a good group of people that support those products but so how did like what's the short short version at least like how'd you get started with terror onion at all how did you deal with the frustrations of certain assholes who were a little bit upset about how certain things were handled. And then, you know, what was the, the graceful exit? Cause it was a graceful exit. There was no shit talk, mud flinging. It was, it was, you know, it was polite. It was professional. Um, I guess, um, yeah, I guess I'll address how I got started with them. Um, okay. They, they, when they originally came on the scene, it was late 2016 with the, the original Neo SD. I think it was late 2016 with the original uh, Neo SD cartridge. Um, sounds about right. They, yeah, they were still just known as the Neo SD team. They hadn't took on the Terranian name. Um, yeah, I remember just out of the blue, these guys popped on the scene. Like literally out of nowhere, uh, these guys popped on the scene, Alex and NeoDev, with their Neo SD cartridge. And... Um, I ordered one because uh, at the time, you know, they weren't a very big company, so a lot of people weren't willing to take a risk. I mean, I have no idea the original NeoSD cartridges they sold, but I was one of the first people to buy one of the uh, MVS NeoSDs. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, if you look at my channel, you'll find a video of it. I, was, I was spoke very positively of it. It was a great cartridge, especially considering at the time what your options were. You know, Darksoft, yeah. he was nowhere close to having his cartridge out. His cartridge was another year and a half. It was way down mm-hmm. the road. Uh, you know, you, you know the Terranium beat him to the punch way, way, way ahead of time. Uh, and your only other options were like the banana card, the yellow card, which has got all sorts of which, issues. Yeah, which back then were terrible. You know, the, the yeah. people who make those have, have been listening because they've fixed a bunch of the really dangerous things wrong with it. But yeah, back then that was really the only option and it was a bad one. Yeah, and there was a couple other flashcards. They were all they were all different sides of the exact same coin. Yeah, you had limited amount of games on them. There was a whole lot of beta buggy versions and then just overall they were ticking time bombs. I mean, you don't know how long those things were going to last. So anyways, I bought one, reviewed it, spoke positively of it. That's that. Um, it was sometime shortly after uh, Alex reached out to me about wanting to create a video for, for, for them, like a promotional video. Um, I didn't understand at the time what he was actually asking. Cause if you spoke to Alex, you know, his English is not his first language. A lot of people give him shit about things he says in English and whilst, yeah, a lot of times he's being sarcastic or being an a- being mean. I was an asshole. Being mean about stuff. The reality is, <clears throat> I think he honestly is a good guy. However, when a language is not your native one, sometimes things get lost in translation. So whenever I was reading his original emails about creating this promotional, this promotional video, I misconstrued it as something he wanted me to post on my channel. And I was like, no, I don't do that. You know, I, you know I've made a review video. I'm not creating like a whatever you're looking for. It wasn't until later on that I went back to his emails and realized what he was actually asking for. He was looking for, I don't want to say commercial, but he was looking for just kind of a, you know, plus and benefits type thing, kind of commercial, like just something like an advertisement type thing that he wanted to post through Terra Onion's own social media and YouTube. So time went by. And I remember whenever they announced their, the original super SD system three, I reached out to Alex again saying, hey, I know we didn't kind of click and connect on the original NeoSD video you want to do, but can I do something for you there? And he sent me some video and clips and stuff, and I created a couple things for him, which if you look on Terra on his website, uh, on their YouTube, you'll find some of the promo stuff I did for him. And then he sent me one of the original Super SD System 3s. And like mm-hmm. everybody else, the first 100, we know there was problems with that, with that thing. Uh, there was video and audio problems with that. And I remember whenever I got my original first unit, because I was within that first batch of the first 100 they sent out, I was like, yeah, man, this thing's got issues. Like, you know, you've, you've got to – and he and I had a bit of a talk, come to Jesus kind of moment. I'm like, look, you can just roll with this as is. You can totally do that. Or you can recall these things and fix the issue and send out replacements. And as we know, the replacements still had issues. It was better than the first batch, but there was still issues. Um, what eventually led me to working, uh, with Terra Onion, I, I joined them in the fall of 2018. Uh, what led me to working with them was on, uh, Twitter, Voltar and Alex got into it. Uh, bad. Voltar gets bad, to do bad, it with bad. everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they got into a bad and I remember coming to Alex. I was like, dude, you, you can't do this on social media. You know, this thing's, you know, you can't do that. You, this is going to make you look like an ass. You just can't do this. And he's like, well, what do you recommend? I said, you need to hire somebody. You know, you need to hire somebody to do this stuff. And then that's when he and I talked and I eventually decided to come on. 
for me, it was, you know, I did social media stuff. I did um, customer support for uh, technical support, which is its own set of issues. But um, I did that. Uh, if you look on their channel, I did video production on their products and updates and stuff. I did video production on that stuff and announcements, uh, along with uh, doing stuff like uh, the forum, which we ended up shutting down, then Discord. Oh, that's all stuff I created. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got involved with Terra Onion. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think, um, you know, Alex is pretty abrasive, but I think his biggest problem, and it's easy for me to to say this at arm's length, so I'm probably talking out of turn here, but I think he thinks his English is great and his English is shit. And I think that is a huge, huge communication issue because there's been so many times where I've had conversations with people around the planet and for long, even before Retro RGB, when I had that job where I was traveling around, Whenever they start a conversation with, I think my English might be poor, so please be patient, There's something falls out of their mouth where if they didn't say that, my reaction would have been, what the fuck did you just say? Like, why would you yeah. say that? But because, and because they warned me, I'd kind of say, well, what did you mean by that? Because it, that could mean a few things. And then they, they take a pause and they re-explain it. And most of the time... They didn't mean anything even remotely negative at all. They just, I use, it's always the same stupid analogy, but it's so accurate. Like if, if I was like, yeah, man, I love retro frog products. They're the shit. Or if I said retro frog products are shit. Right, right, right. One word difference. One. Right, right. It is a massive, it is a funny slang compliment versus huge slander for one word. And it's so yeah. hard. It's so hard for anybody speaking a different language to grasp that after a while. But it has to start with just like knowing that you're not good at it. So even like the the last couple of things that happened online, I was just like, man, I don't know Alex that well, but I'm pretty sure that's not what he meant to say at all. And it still was yeah. kind of rude and mean, not the not the time for it. But I don't think that's what he meant. I think it just came out wrong and yeah. sucked to see that. The thing that always bothers me with stuff like that is like when, you know, when the character Lord Voltar goes on his rants, right? Like that's part of, that's part of what that is. But when you see that coming from a company, social media, that reflects on Miguel, who's always been so nice to me. I always appreciate uh-huh. your patience. Thank you. And anybody else that was involved in that. And it's like, oh man, that sucks for everybody. That, that shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Eh. Well, you know, you don't have to worry about it. It's not your problem. <laughs> so. yeah. I mean, I, I guess because, you know, people will obviously ask why I left and ultimately came down to dedicating time to my own business. Um, you know, I could I could either spend that time working with somebody else to grow their business or I could spend that time working to grow my own business. And, and you know, I think I was I thought I was being kind of underutilized. So, I you know, I, I decided I wanted to go my, my own way. Yeah, but you went your own way building unique products that were either completely separate or or went along with and supported Terra Audience stuff. So it's not like you walked away with your middle finger in the air and a Sega CD ODE in your other hand. Like, no, you're doing your own completely different thing. It doesn't step on anybody's toes. I think that's probably why it was such a cordial, at least publicly, such a a cordial separation because, you know, there was nobody did anything vicious. It was just time for you to do your own thing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew eventually, um, I knew eventually I'd run into a situation where there was going to be a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just doing what I do, that eventually I'd either want to develop an add-on for a competitor's product, 
or something that did something with a competitor's product, or maybe something I put out competed with something Terra Onion was either currently doing or wanted to do in the future. So it came down to, you know, eventually I, I knew I was going to part ways. <laughs> eventually. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you know, props to props to all of you for doing it professionally. You know, there was no, you know, some of the most embarrassing things is if you like you, you follow bands and you see the, the band meltdown and, everything goes down publicly. Like, I don't know if you know the band Queensryche, but that was one of the most embarrassing mm-hmm. things I've ever seen where I was just like, uh, I'm sure in that moment that felt so important to them, but I could only imagine what it would be like looking back. If you were one of those band members, like, I can't believe I did that on stage at a festival in front of all those people just because I was mad at the singer. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's always good to see people at least just do it right in public. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I, you know, Tara Onion's, you know, I wish those guys the best. Uh, they've got a lot of great ideas, but like, <clears throat> excuse me, but like anybody else right now, the 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 chip shortage is just crushing everybody. Anybody that wants to produce anything right now, you can't buy anything. You're either on yeah. ungodly lead time, or you're paying out the wazoo for stuff that makes it totally impractical to. Provide. I mean, if you if you have a component in a design that used to cost three dollars and now costs thirty dollars. Or it used to cost ten dollars, now costs one hundred and fifty. That you can't produce like that, you know, because you can't raise the price. Nobody's gonna buy it. It just it comes down to that. So, yeah, basically, you're in a, they're in a situation like everybody else where they they can't produce what they want to produce, and they're just kind of sidelining things, sitting on their thumbs until they can. Yeah, it, but it's not just an FPGA shortage. Like, I went to go make oh, something no. that I've been yeah. using for years. Actually, I, I have them right here because I wanted to solder the rest apart. But there is a resistor, um, one one little transistor thingy, a capacitor, and an LED. And all three are out of stock everywhere. Obviously, for yeah. resistors and capacitors, you just find a different brand. But, like, I have, I've ordered those maybe five times over the past six or seven years using the same links and the same everything else. And this is the first time ever that I went to order it and not a single part was in stock of four of the most basic ass parts you could ever imagine. So it was, uh, it's, it's rough these days making anything. Yeah. Yeah. All this stuff is, you know, there was something here a while back I was ordering, uh, for retro from, it was the same way I had ordered multiple times and I went back to my normal supplier and I was like out of stock. I was like the lead time 56 weeks. I'm like, Fifty six weeks. That ain't gonna work. So then you go to another supplier and you find it in stock, and you have to start making start making changes to accommodate, uh, yeah, the difference. But yeah, that it's it's the reality we live in right now, where major components are impossible. Cheaper, common passive components, you've got to find alternate alternates for, you know, mm-hmm. or find separate you know, sellers to be able to provide it for. Yeah, make design changes. Yeah. And even getting things made in an assembly plant too, like the orders I've been placing with JLC PCB, you know, the, the part of their thing is if they run out of components, they just send it to you, especially the cheap ones that are like two cents each, like a resistor or something. They'll send you the design, but it'll just be missing those parts. And like one of the things you showed up missing ferrite beads. I'm like, why? Well, it's like four cents worth of stuff total, not even per board, but it's like, yeah, damn, like that's how bad it is that they didn't even have ferrite beads laying around. So. Hmm. Yeah. Cause how's been, how's your experience been with them for, uh, for assembly and stuff? None of those places are perfect, but they've been top tier compared to a lot of the other stuff I've gone through. I probably had 
my, a couple of minor issues over the years. One issue, I don't know if it was their board or the design. We never really figured out what the heck happened with that one. So I just threw that up in the air as it could have been anything. But I've had some pretty bad... I've had stuff come from other competitors of theirs where mm-hmm. ground was bridged to a couple of the power traces. And this mm-hmm. is a board that I'd ordered multiple times with the same the same Gerber file in the same folder on my hard drive. So it's not like one of us made a mistake and dragged it, you know, dragged the traces together. So and I, I've never had anything that major. So I, I just, you know, it, because I have a history of product manufacturing and the company that I, I worked with, the companies that I worked with before I started doing retro RGB full time, I have a very clear uh, expectation of what could go wrong with this stuff. So they're, they're definitely, you know, in the top that I've worked with in those, but I mean, we had companies where we had an order for 20,000 of something and they sent us like 10 prototypes. This is one of the reasons why I'm so paranoid about power, by the way, but they sent us 10 prototype power supplies. We beat the hell out of them and they were perfect. So then we ordered, all right, so let's order 5,000 more and then, you know, ship them to you, ship them to us in bulk and then we'll order more after that. The first bulk shipment, they swapped all the capacitors with cheap ass ones. Mm. And all the machines were sh- shutting off after like five or six minutes. And we had, I mean, that cost the company like probably a quarter of a million dollars. Had to go out on the in the field. We had to manually replace them. Uh, there were, you know, lawsuits were threatened. It was a big deal. And that was for an order that would have just grown bigger and bigger and bigger. And so you know, to put that into perspective, the orders that we often place in retro, if there's no, you know, for, for simple boards there, you know, that's barely making them any money at all. So the fact yeah, that yeah. they pay attention to an order of five that I place just to do an ad, it's like, you know, that, that's, uh, that's important. Whereas, you know, seeing the failures, the massive intentional failures of some of these bigger companies, it's like, that was frustrating. There was a few of those too. There was a few, major major issues but the power supply one was the one that was so blatantly like just a giant middle finger in the face to us yeah i've been pretty lucky with that you know the files i sent off to have manufactured but yeah i can easily see where some of these cheaper build houses would kind of cut corners and just use some really crappy build process and generate just junk yeah there was a motherboard company out in taiwan that was doing that with their boards too they were sending out uh, pre-production embedded board samples. This is 2006, by the way. So I'm not going to name the company because I don't even know if they're still around. And if they are, who knows? But they were sending out pre-production samples that were good. And then the manufacturing ones, some of the connectors weren't soldered on all the way. Like the LVDS video connectors and stuff like that. And it's just like, <laughs> like you look at it, it's like, how could this happen? Like, there are, is there a zero QA? Because that's the only way this could happen is zero quality assurance in this stuff so yeah it's kind of interesting because i've started seeing um some of the guys in the retro scene now have their own smd assembly line in-house uh mm. cricks like he has his own in-house where he can spin up the boards all he has to do is have a batch of pcbs created and as long as he has the components in line he can just whip off as many megas uh, uh his mega ever drives or you know or whatever he needs he can just just churn them out left and right and then there's uh like otharic in poland uh, which you and mm. I have talked about him. Uh, he um, he has his own SMD assembly line as well. Uh, pick and place machine along with the, the thing that has all the spools of materials and stuff. And he can do the same thing where once he gets the, the PCBs, the fiberglass PCBs in, he can just start creating as many of whatever he needs. He's not reliant on a third party to do that. 
And I think as some of the prices come down on some of that stuff, you'll start seeing some more and more of these companies, the smaller, the smaller outfits, tired of being constrained by the the limitations of these big organizations that don't want to deal with them or they give them just some really crappy deal. So now they can just start whipping off boards on their own. Yeah, Mateus did that. The person who reverse engineered the Game Gear motherboard, he's got a, a pick and place machine. I think he was telling me that he was able to get it through his company, used much cheaper. So while it it is something that, you know, it's like 10, 20 grand for one of those, if you're in the right place at the right time, it's much cheaper. So that would make sense. I'd love one of those, but not only would I have no place to put it and can't afford it, like all I would be doing is making my friends designs for them. But just <laughs> that's one of those things like, you know, we need something we need a couple RMC caves around the planet and we need them to be like half production, half museum, interactive museum. Like Neil's been doing it. Cause I would love to fill up an entire basement there with like, you know, a pick and place machine, a couple of 3d printers and stuff like that. So smaller creators could just sit there and say, you know, they could bring their designs. They could do their own QA there. So when it comes down, they could test them and be part of it. And, kind of help smaller creators get started but hey if you pick one up you could be uh you know you could have that service where you you start making things for people like that uh i don't, I don't foresee that happening any anytime soon but hey yeah you never know never Come know. on you wouldn't want a pick and place machine you can fit it back there somewhere <laughs> i could probably use one but no I, I don't think i want to invest that kind of that kind of money you'd have to have a I don't know. Those guys have a lot of different designs they build. You know, they make sense for them when they're, you know, especially Craig's. I mean, I don't know how much of his stuff he sells, like what his quantities look like, but man, for him, that's definitely justified. You know? Hmm. Yeah. And it's one of those things too, where, you know, as much as I was joking about you getting a pick and place machine, if you're taking on that project, that means that you're doing the quality assurance, you're double checking Mm -hmm. the designs. There's, a lot of responsibility that goes. Whereas if you have a, a maker's day where, you know, you could rent out the shop for a day and set everything up and do it yourself. If anything goes wrong, it's your fault. So you can't blame the people running the shop. You just got to pay for your materials and everything else. It's not, you know, it's a good way to help you get started, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of responsibility. We talked, I think, I can't remember if we did it on a podcast or just on the phone, but I talked to Steve from HD Retrovision about that. Like, a month after we met like, Hey, you know, we should start up a company where we get to make these products for people. And he was like, there is no fucking way I would ever do that. <laughs> no, you can too much responsibility. You know, I'm not going to check every single part of every design. That's a hard no. And I'm like, all right, fine. Well, I, I, can, right, I can, I can tell you firsthand, some of these companies, especially in Europe, you know, if you send them a design that, you know, that, you know, work's been produced before and they, they send up, you know, your finished boards back and they don't work. They're basically going to tell you to take a walk off a cliff. Yeah. And, yeah. and to be honest, unless you, unless you got the big deep pockets of pursuing court, you pretty much just had to eat it. Yeah. So it's kind of funny when we, when I told you about the power supply and the capacitors, we went through a U.S. distribution shop. So because we went through that, we lost a lot of money with every sale because we had to pay this person out of Massachusetts and they paid the people in Taiwan. But because of that, we were able to legally say we're not paying for anything and you're chipping in for some of the, the money that we had to spend to replace them. And if we had gone direct to China for that, they would have just laughed and just stopped responding to our calls. So it was one of those things where it was like, you know, you got to understand what's legal and what's right versus what actually happens are very often not the same thing. 
at all. Yeah, exactly. You gotta be you gotta be careful who you who you uh, trust to be your build partners on this stuff. Because yeah, if they yeah. fuck it up, they're liable to just be like, "Sorry, <laughs> that's yeah. that." You know, they might offer you a discount on the future, but that doesn't change the fact that you just had a thousand PCBs created with parts on them, and you can't get those parts back. So it's like you just got to eat the whole process. They're like, "Oh, we'll give you a ten percent discount next time around." Well, that doesn't help me now. Yeah, you know, so. Yeah, that stuff's frustrating, but you know, it's, that's the lesson we learned was that we needed a QA person in Asia all the time. And that was me. I was bouncing back and forth between Shenzhen, Taipei, uh, Statesville, North Carolina, which was our final assembly plant, and then back to Connecticut where the main office was. And that was me for like basically five years, maybe four, four years were like a constant rotation. And I almost, uh, before the second economic crash back then, I was, play or they wanted to get me an apartment out there so that I could go one month there, one month here, so that we would not have those issues and, and bounce back and forth. But for a company who does this entire thing for a living, that makes sense for, yeah, you know, for a, a small shop making things in runs of 500 or a thousand, like you, there's, you'll spend more in travel or in hiring somebody than you will in any profit. So it's, it's kind yeah. of a the word, you know, the, the least evil, uh, or the, the lesser of all the evils is what you have to choose in that scenario, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Well, we talked about retro frog. We talked about your origin channels. We bullshitted just like we would, if we were hanging out in person, <laughs> did, uh, did I forget anything? Did, was there something we wanted to talk about? I just kind of like doing these as if, I mean, as if we were at a coffee shop or a bar hanging out and inviting everybody else to, yeah. to come join it. So. Yeah. We might have to do this again sometime. Absolutely. Uh, this was fun. We're definitely going to catch up at some point. I, I'll continue to feature your designs because I think they're great and they're helpful. And I don't care if it's, if it's feet for an AES or or if it's an elaborate 3D printed design. If I think it's cool, it's going up on the site. So people, a lot of people made fun of how excited I got about that. But when you put your AES down and it doesn't move, that's a big deal now. It's not sliding all around. So, so keep up. Keep hey, up I, good work, man. <laughs> I like uh, I create solutions for problems you didn't know you had. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, thanks for your time. I'll leave links to absolutely everywhere people could find you and uh we'll we'll follow up again in a, in a little bit and do another one. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs>